This is the Shelter Island Reporter Podcast, conversations with some of the island's most fascinating people. I'm Susan Carey Dempsey. Today I'm speaking with Donna Marie Barnes from Sylvester Manor, where stories continue to unfold from centuries ago. Donna Marie Barnes, I'm so grateful that I have some time to spend with you today. I think you have maybe the most interesting job at the most interesting place on not only Shelter Island, would you say, uh, at least the East End. And I'm sure you're very good at giving a terse, succinct description of what Sylvester Manor is. Sure. Yes, I agree. I think I have I have what I call my dream job. Yeah. Um, and every day is better than the day before. So Sylvester Manor on Shelter Island is the most intact uh, plantation north of Virginia. It was settled in 1651 on the lands that were the ancestral home of the indigenous Manhansett people, who we regard as the ancestors of the place. They made their home on Shelter Island for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. But in 1651, four, par- four English partners arrived um, who owned two plantations on the island of Barbados where they operated a sugar, sugar manufacturing uh, plantation. They bought uh, Shelter Island, the 8,000 acres of the island, for 1,600 pounds of sugar in order to create what we refer to as a provisioning plantation, meaning that on Barbados and throughout the West Indies, where they were growing sugarcane, which was just being introduced to the European market for the first time. Quite uh, valuable at that point, right? It was very valuable. You know, uh, the English had just started to import both tea and coffee and drinking each black uh, was not palatable to their taste. And so the introduction of sugar into the market was, you know, as we know, the magic elixir, and uh, it became the greatest cash crop in the world. Mm-hmm. Because they made so much money growing only sugar cane in Barbados, um, and the work was being done by enslaved Africans, uh, they needed to import food, raw materials, uh, and other things that they needed that they weren't manufacturing on the island. And so the idea of the provisioning plantation on Shelter Island uh, answered a lot of problems. Uh, It provided them with food, livestock, uh, raw materials. It was located um, in a place that was... uh, advantageous to what is called the triangle trade, so bringing goods from the West Indies up the coast of the North American colonies uh, to New York, uh, Long Island, and New England, and then shipping things back to England. So it was the perfect spot. Perfect setting for for that business and and perfect in other ways. But I can remember uh, growing up on Shelter Island and you saw the gates to Sylvester Manor and you saw the sign that indicated yeah. when it was settled. But a family, a, a private family was still living there up until, I guess, the 13th generation from... Yeah. So, yes. So Nathaniel Sylvester was the partner of these four partners that was tasked with creating the settlement. And so he built the first manor house, eventually bought out the other partners and became lord of the manor and the owner of the entire island of Shelter Island. And his descendants through 11 generations ending 
the last full-time resident uh, was Mrs. Alice Fisk, the wife of Andrew Fisk, yes. who was the 10th generation heir. And following her death in 2006, um, it stopped being a private residence when the next heir, Eben Osby and his nephew, Bennett Knesny, made the gesture and gift of giving away the property and creating the not-for-profit organization. So before that, before 2006 and from 1651, it had been a private estate. Right. So that must be very interesting. I mean, now people can go in and, and tour it and and it's really kind of like a traditional family home where you have a lot yeah. of things that were just handed down, some valuable, uh, some just personal. Um, so you really get a sense of the, the families that have lived there. Absolutely, because they never threw away anything. Oh, <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> we, we, we tend to call them historical hoarders. And so yeah. there is still furniture and artifacts and what we call ephemera and uh, yeah letters and documents and photographs and paintings that tell this long history of not just the family, but of also of the other people who lived and worked there, the enslaved and, um, and free workers, the indentured workers, who right. all played a role in the, in the house and longevity of the place. Right. That's, that's so true. And I think um, largely due to Alice Fisk's efforts, I think that the archaeology digs that were done on the Absolutely. site have given us so much more information. Absolutely. I mean, her, her original idea and thought was to, to invite the archaeologists to come as a way to pay tribute to her husband, Andy, mm. who had always had this dream. He was very interested in, in the Sylvester family history all of his life, and it had always been his dream to discover where Nathaniel's original house was. And so... Uh, Alice Fisk invited the archaeologist from the University of Massachusetts at Boston, Dr. Stephen Marzowski, to do this dig with the idea of, I want you to find the house. Mm. Uh, but given the history of the place, um, Dr. Marzowski responded that he would do it, but only if he got to tell the whole story of all the people who, who lived at Sylvester Manor, and she agreed. Right. And so it was really from that that all of this really un unfolded and that, that they were able to uncover up to almost a million artifacts, which points to this place as being uh, the home of three distinct cultures, the indigenous people, the Manhansets, the European Sylvester family, and the enslaved Africans that they brought here. Right, right. And, and really, um, the most um, uh, distinct physical evidence we have, I believe, would be the burial ground that yes. uh, we still don't know fully, you know, who was buried there. Yes. So during, during the original archaeology, they did do a study of the burial ground, which, you know, is, is uh, recognized by a stone placed in the 1880s by the Horsford family that reads the burying ground of the colored people of the manor from 1651. Mm -hmm. Well, we believe that there are up to 200 people buried there. Uh, we refer to it now as the Afro-Indigenous burial ground, and we believe that it was an ancestral burial ground of the Manhansett people, as well as then the, uh, the gravesite for the enslaved people of the manor and of Shelter Island, we're coming to believe, um, and the free people of color uh, later in the, in the 19th century. 
So now we're in the process of a three-year project, again with UMass Boston and Dr. Steve, um, in partnership with the Shinnecock Nation, Indian Nation, to do a re-examination of the site. We've, we've cleared it out once again, which have revealed many more marker stones. There are no tombstones or headstones, but there are large stones indicating the head and foot of a grave. Um, and we've uncovered uh, many more of them. Um, and so over these next three years, we'll, we'll be doing an investigation at the site to map how big it is, whether it goes beyond the parameters of where we originally thought, mm -hmm. and to try and get some advanced uh, technology in there using ground penetrating radar to determine how many people may be buried there. It is amazing. Um, yeah. The technology is, is going to make a huge difference. Plus, yeah. uh, even though they were not clearly marked as we would think of it, they were preserved, I think, because people didn't really know, you know, who was buried there. They weren't going. Yeah, they were under, it was undisturbed. Um, and, and just sort of nature took care of it because, you know, the, the burial ground is full of and surrounded by, you know, tall cedar trees that were planted by the horse roots in the late 19th century. And so their growth and then the shedding of the pine needles and the leaves have in some ways protected the grave sites. Which is actually kind of a lovely setting, I think. Yeah. You have a place to rest for eternity. Yeah. It really does seem like a, like a lovely thought um, to be there. There are um, other things that you're doing to try to help uh, get the word out from what you've learned there, uh, working sure. with other organizations. You want to talk a bit about that? Sure. Well, especially this this February for it's Black History Month and this this year, we've uh, collaborated with the Shelter Island Historical Society to do what we call a virtual exhibition. So it's an exhibit that is online on both of our websites and it launched the other day on uh, the, the 16th of February. And the exhibition is called See Their Names. Yes. And through research that we have each been doing, Sylvester Manor, and in conjunction with the Historical Society, we have been uncovering the names of the enslaved and the free people of color of Shelter Island by looking at last wills and testaments, inventories, account books, uh, letters, diaries, uh, census records. And we've been able to, to not only find the names of these people, uh, but to be able to create uh, biographies, stories about their lives on Shelter Island and sort of restore them to history. Um, yes. In many ways, Shelter Island has always been a diverse community, uh, probably more so in the late uh, 18th and 19th century than even today. Um, with, uh, with the end of slavery in New York in 1827, the formerly enslaved people became what we call free people of color. They remained on Shelter Island. Some of them went on to own land um, and to work here. Uh, the various families or properties, um, always in and out of Sylvester Manor. And so being able to identify those people to give their life uh, a fuller perspective um, and to give them, as we say, to give them agency, um, as full-fledged full citizens of the community and the history of the place as, as among the founding, the founding people of Shelter Island. Yes, that's true. And I, I recommend that anybody 
who can go to to your site or to the historical society. I, I looked at it myself, and it's it's so moving because it connects you with the humanity of uh, families. A lot of families had individual names listed there. And as you say, a lot of it comes from account books, from commercial documents, because originally these people were property. Yes. And then you begin to trace and, and they'll name their children. And sometimes the children went with the mother, but you're really reading little biographies. Yes, it's yes. Fascinating. It's just fascinating. And, yes. and, and to see some of them, uh, you know, became owners of property, um, not in terms that we would think were very fair today, but uh, they, they, as you say, they really were uh, an important part of the community going Absolutely. back. We also believe that a lot of the people that we list in the See Their Names um, exhibition are buried in the burial ground. Um, even though free people of color are listed as being members of the church, they were not interred in the Presbyterian uh, Shelter Island Cemetery. Uh, we can't find any listing of them being buried there. Their deaths are, are noted, yeah. what years they died, but not their place of being buried. And so the assumption is that potentially they are buried in the, in the Sylvester Manor burial ground. Yeah. So by giving them this, uh, you know, finding out as much as we can and writing, as you say, uh, biographies of them, we are in fact honoring them and giving them the obituaries and tributes that they deserve. Yes. Yeah. And they're just as fascinating as, as any of the, uh, absolutely we know better uh, about Shelter Island history. Um, I wonder, you know, with all of the papers in the vault, you know, that were preserved so well, and it seemed like they, they never threw anything out, but it, it, it is a shame that they didn't record who, who was buried specifically yes. in the burial grounds. There's another place that, you know, it's the importance, as you say, of, of seeing their names and knowing their names. Place that I found very moving inside the manor house. When you are in the kitchen and you look at the stairs. Yes. And the stairs going up to the attic, the, they're very uh, steep and, and narrow. You can barely get mm -hmm. into it. Um, so people who were working in the house would go up and down and would, would go up to the attic to sleep at night. I, if I, you know, if I have it correct, but at some point um, you had the names of individual slaves written on steps going up. And I was just so moved just to stand there and to, to look at their names. I think oh. it's beautiful to kind of, you know, keep Thank them, you. keep them in our consciousness and think, just think about what their lives were there. Yes. No. And how yeah, much the, the names on the stairs are the names of the enslaved women. Right. And a few years ago when we did an exhibition that we called Women of the Manor, I didn't have images for these women, for the enslaved women. I only had their names. Mm. And it, it suddenly dawned on me that that's how we would represent them, just by having their names on the yes. stairs that they went up and down. Yeah, it's it's definitely very very moving. Um, there's, there's so many stories that uh, you just can take yourself back in time. You know, just to imagine the yeah. place as as it was, and it and it must have been really a bustling place to be this. Oh, absolutely plantation. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Um, and I know that uh, you have been able to raise people's awareness of 
not only the um, people of color who were enslaved at the manor, but other places on Shelter Island and, and on the East End. You know, it's yeah. sort of been this wake up call for a lot of people. Who Absolutely. Picture, you know, the North having uh, yeah. you know, flourishing slavery, but truth is otherwise. Yeah, and it's, it's something that, you know, I think growing up and, and being in school, living in New York, growing up in New York, we weren't taught. You know, right. I hear constantly when people come for visits and I tell them this history, their response is, but why wasn't I taught this in school? I never learned this. I never knew that there was slavery in, in New York or on Long Island or certainly not on the East End. And to discover the extent to which it was prevalent um, is a shock to a lot of people. Yes. And it, it's, it's again, it's a it's across age groups, uh, cultures i hear this from white visitors african-american visitors everybody in everyone says i didn't know this right. but more and more we are uncovering this history and uh as the virtual exhibition the see their names um sort of illustrates it's not hard it's not hard to find it it's right there all you have to do is ask the question and look <laughs> And more and more places are starting to do that because more and more they're being asked, um, who was here? What is the real history? You know, was this a place of enslavement? And if so, who were they? And the, the minute you start looking, the stories, just the names and the stories just tumble out and unfold. It's, it's like, it's history waiting and ready to be revealed. It's our history. It's not one it's, history alone. Oh, no, absolutely. And even though we've done this exhibit for, you know, what's called Black History Month, it in fact is not Black history. It's American history. Right. This is this is the history of Shelter Island. It's the history of the United States. It's the history of New York. However you want to term it, it's a comprehensive history. It's not just for one group of people. Yes, it's, it's so true. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a kind of a gift to our minds to kind of open them up, you know, and, and to have so much more than we even knew to ask about. Yeah. And I think we celebrate too, you know, it's to, to embrace this history. No, it's not pretty. And, uh, you know, the history of enslavement is certainly brutal and unjust uh, and a choice that we would not make today, but it, also just in discovering who was here and who they were and acknowledging them as founders of this place, uh, the ancestors of our community, is a celebration. Yes, uh, yes, yes. You are and, in and that's the way I'd like to think about it. You're in such a unique place to be able to do this. And, and you really have done so much of this. We really owe you so much credit for you know opening this up and finding ways to get this information out. And, you know, ironically, with this pandemic, where people couldn't get to do many of the things that we were doing before, going online is so important. Now that you've got this, this uh, joint exhibit up with the Historical Society, it's just wonderful. People, you know, can access it from home. Yeah. And, and then when, when they get the time, when they can get back, get into Sylvester Manor on the times when the grounds are open, you know, just to walk around, to Absolutely. see the grounds, yeah. to see the trees, to see the <laughs> uh, the harbor and imagine, you know, the ships coming and going. Uh, it, it's, it's incredible. Um, I want to ask you how you wound up where you are, because you have <laughs> a, a fantastically uh, interesting job <laughs> and you do it so well. 
Thank you. Um, how did I end up here? Um, it's a it's a shock and a surprise even to me. <laughs> um, I grew up summering in Sag Harbor, so I have always been on the East End. Um, I lived in the city and went to school in the city during the winters. I, I am not a trained historian. I have worked all of my life in journalism, specifically in photojournalism. I am a photographer and a photo editor. Um, and in that way, I have always been a visual storyteller. And after many, many years working uh, at People Magazine in the city, um, I moved back to Sag Harbor to figure out what's next. <laughs> and what's next turned out to be, well, I think I'll volunteer at Sylvester Manor, which I had found out about for the first time um, reading Matt Griswold's book. I knew nothing about it or had any idea that that kind of history existed so close. I can see Shelter Island from my house in Sag Harbor and never knew. Mm. Um, and uh, once I started volunteering, I literally felt like I was falling in love and, uh, and I've never left. <laughs> so I went from a volunteer to being uh, a full-time staff member and, and here we are. Well, you, you've had a lot of responsibility placed in your hands with, uh, <laughs> with these really priceless documents and opportunities to see what's what's yeah. really there at the I ground very lucky yeah and you've been a great steward uh really of this this uh this treasure trove and i just uh look forward to getting back there and encourage people to come and to learn more yes well there is so much to do and we are going to follow up and, and do our research on our own but then we're going to come and see you in person at the net as soon as we can thank you, um, thank you it's just it's a it's a delight uh, to talk to you always and uh, thank you for all the work that you and all the staff at the manor do thank you so much